Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. We'll get started. Uh, today actually is um, my father's uh, yurt site. So I, I'd like to dedicate this this Torah talk uh, for the, the elevation of his soul. And uh, his name was Leib bin Tzvi Halevi and was a, an awesome person who uh, was just, uh, he, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to put in words. He he genuinely cared about people, and he and he really really loved people, and um, you know he gave me so much. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna and you know I there, there's something that that I've been saying to people who who have lost a loved one. And and it's it's really based on what my experience with with really both my my parents has been, but I would say maybe even especially my father, which is this awareness that after uh, a loved one passes, um, we should all live long. Um, but I think that there's a uh, a sense that you've gotten to the last page of a book. And it's a book that you loved reading. Everybody knows that feeling where you don't want a book to end and you get to the last page and it ends and you, you close the cover of the book and you feel like, well, that's, it's over now. And, um, you know, it's done. And it's, it's very, very sad. And I think a lot of people have that, that sense when they, they lose a loved one that the book's over, you've closed the last cover and, and, and it's, it's done. And and what I'm what I'd like to share with you is that 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 is not the reality, and that um, the relationship continues, and 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 not on the level that you hear a lot of people say, which is which is um, oh they'll always have a place in your heart, and as long as there's love, then you'll remember them. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something like substantially different from that. I'm saying that the relationship with the person themselves goes on anew and continues. It just takes a different form. It's just not in the form of they were in a body and you're in a body, but they're no less present in your life. In fact, um, they're actually more present in your life than they used to be. And I heard Reb Shlomo comfort a mourner, and and the way he said it, he said it so beautifully. Someone had lost their mother, and he said um, that that uh, that right now you're you're closer than you've ever been before, because before um, when you wanted to be in touch, you had to call them or they had to call you, but now wherever you are. She's right there with you. So I thought that was, I thought that actually was uh, an awesome thought. And I know that's true with my dad, uh, which is that a sense that um, when I'm remembering something that, that he told me, 
that um that I'm learning it anew. And when it when it comes to me, when I think of it, I'm not I'm not sort of like digging up an old memory, but but that he's bringing that thought to me in the present tense, and that this is a very real ongoing relationship that I'm that that I'm experiencing. And so I would I would ask us all to maybe reframe maybe our relationships with 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 past loved ones in that way understanding that there's actually that it's not a memory-based relationship but that there is an active dynamic relationship going on in the present and that it's very very real um and and i and i think that's the reality you know um Sometimes we, 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 we hear things like this and, and it sounds very sort of mystical and wish fulfillment-y. And I, I, I just don't think that's the case. I think that this is actually the reality of the situation. And, and it's, an, it's important to, to understand it on that level. Um, and, and with that in mind, let me just sort of transition into a, a general idea about belief for a moment if you will. You see, there's, there's certain things that are true. And um, they're true whether you believe them or not. And if you don't believe them, they remain true. And if you do believe them, it's very nice that you believe them, but that doesn't make them more true. They're still true. Because they were true before you and they're true after you. It's like there are people... Many people believe, and again, this is sort of not something that people actually um, think intellectually. It's sort of more of an, an emotional intelligence at work here. But this is, if they had to put it into words, this is what they would say. Um, which is that they believe that they create the reality of God through their belief in God. So let me say that again. In other words, by my believing in God, I am creating the existence of God. God wasn't there before, but I worked very, very hard. And I believed very, very much. And now I have created God. That's not what's going on. God is there, whether you believe in him or not. And, and part of the awesomeness of God is that he continues to create you as you cease to believe in him. <laughs> and God is so beyond, 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 beyond. It's sort of like, okay, no, you don't believe in me. It's okay. You'll get there. You'll figure it out at some point in this world, in the next world, whatever it is, you're going to figure it out. I'm not worried. You want to get on YouTube and tell everybody how I don't exist? Okay, I'm even going to let you do that. I'm really not concerned. You know, when you... When you see how much disbelief there is in the world and how God allows it to flourish, what that should really make you aware of is just how utterly confident God is and how utterly non-threatened by these waves of disbelief God is because he's so beyond it all. I mean, he's completely in touch with us, but he's also beyond, 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 right? So what I'm trying to tell you is there, there, there is this idea of belief, but you have to also understand that there is this idea of reality. 
And you can sort of think that um, because you believe you make it exist, or you can get to the deeper level of understanding that it actually exists, period. Whether you believe in it or not. Now, now, now that you know that it exists, you should believe in it. But that its existence is not contingent on your believing in it. That, that's, that, that's, a, that's a much higher level. That's a much higher level. So, you know, we talked about it in, in that, the, that, the, that God is beyond time. God is within time, but he's also beyond time. And that the past, the future, and the present is all before God, right? God sees the future, he sees the past, he sees the present. And so God, who's promised us that he's going to bring Mashiach, God who sees the future has already created the future, which means that the future already exists, which means that our belief in the next world is not this sort of wish fulfillment-y kind of thing that our belief will create the reality of it. From God's perspective, who already sees the future, who is outside of time, God has already created. So that means it already exists. Now, now we can't necessarily see it with our eyes. But now, now we get to the more even human level. So let's, let's go a little bit deeper, okay? A lot of people think, if I can't see something with my eyes, that means I have to believe that it exists. But just because you don't see something with your eyes has really no connection to whether it exists or whether it doesn't exist. You see, do you know how many things there are in the world that we can see with our eyes that 1000% exist? And we know scientifically that they exist, but we can't see them with our eyes. So do you think any thinking intelligent person would say, I believe, um, you know, the Andromeda strain or the, that is some distant galaxy. I believe um, black holes exist. I believe subatomic part. I believe protons exist. I believe atoms exist. Is that, is that a proper use of the word belief? We, we know with, with, with high-powered uh, telescopes and the Hubble telescope and, and with um, electron microscopes, we know for a fact that these things exist and we can't see them with our eyes. So, so it's a little foolish to say, I believe atoms exist. I believe distant galaxies exist. It's foolish to use this language. Do you understand? I can't hear him. You understand how there's no correlation between not being able to see something with your eyes and thinking, therefore, you have to believe in order to connect with the reality of it. So, so what, I'm, what I'm trying to bring us to the realization is is that God exists and that we should accept, 
accept the reality of God, re accept the reality of the next world as simple as, as simply as a reality. And then function within that reality. And if you can't see it with your eyes and you can't touch it with your hands, that's okay. There, there is no intellectual gap there. Because as we've said, lots of things exist that you can't see with your eyes. So with, with this in mind, let me, let me tell you a quick funny story that happened to me this Shabbos. And, uh, and then we're going to go deeper, okay? Deeper into these ideas. So I, I went to uh, a bar mitzvah this, this Shabbos. It was my first uh, Shabbos morning um, community experience. It was, it was outdoors in, in someone's backyard and they had, you know, the chairs were six feet apart in all directions and everyone was wearing their masks during the, the service. And, you know, it was really, I didn't know how, how it was going to be exactly, but it, it was, it was fine. It was fine. It was actually weirdly normal, you know? Anyway, uh, they, they wanted to have a kiddish, you know, a, after the bar mitzvah, but, but that would sort of be a, a social gathering kind of, danger because people can't be within six feet of each other. So the, uh, the hosts of the, of the Simcha, of the Bar Mitzvah, did something very sweet. They, they, they made Kiddush to go. <laughs> so they hired a caterer and they made these sort of individual gift bags. And in each gift bag, there was your, your Kiddush. So you had a something to drink and something to eat and, and, and all these things. And there was, it was beautifully wrapped and the bags were very decorative and, and everyone got a, a kiddish to go. So it was very nice. Anyway, I didn't look through it, but I'm walking home and it was, uh, you know, it was a, a good about a, around a two mile walk back to the house. And my son and I are walking and we walk by these two people on a, on a park bench at one point, and they're in sort of like Saturday kind of recreational, kind of spending the day outside clothes, you know, not, not really, not, not, not so Shabbostic, you know, no, no judgments, just try, trying to describe the, the situation. You know, they were out for a, a day outside together. And I'd say they were probably in their late 20s and, um, you know, a good looking couple. So as we're walking by them on this, this park bench, uh, the guy just sort of says to, says to us, you know, kind of joking around, friendly, what's in the bags? And so I said, you know, we, I said, we were just at a bar mitzvah. And I said, would you, uh, and I see like, I look in the bag for the first time, it's, it's sort of covered over, but I see there's something poking out, it looks like a bottle of water. I said to him, would you, like a, would you like a bottle of water? And he said, yeah. So I handed him the bottle of water. And um, I asked the two of them, I said, what are you to each other? You know, I didn't want to assume anything. And the woman said, friends. So I, it kind of had, a, it seemed like they were on a date, you know? So I thought maybe it's an early date, whatever it is. And then I said, would you like something else? And he said, yes. <laughs> 
So I reached in and I pulled out the next thing that my hand touched in the bag. And it was a, uh, a small bottle of Kedem grape juice so that you could make Kiddush. So I pull this out and I say to him, would you like to make Kiddush? And he, he looks at me and he sort of like is, I don't know, like he doesn't know how to make Kiddush, you know? Like, or like, he's like a little bit rattled, but he's on board though, you know? He's, he, and he says, yes, you know? So I said, okay, I'll show you how. It, it's no big deal, it's very simple. So I said, stand up. So the two of them stand up. Although they were Sephardi, maybe they should have sat, but. Anyway, I think even Ashkenazim sit on Shabbos day, but whatever it is, I told him to stand. And I, I hand him the bottle. And then I said, no, I, I said, hold it in your right hand. No, 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 put the bottle on your palm. I said, the way your grandfather did, which was like, like kind of like a striking thing to say since I don't know anything about this guy and didn't even establish that they were Jewish, but I, I strongly felt that they were. I said, no, put the bottle in the, the center of your palm, like your grandfather did. And then I gave him the, the, the quick two-line Kiddush and told him to say, Savri Maranan. And then I turned to the woman he was with and I said, now you say Lechayim. She says, Lechayim. And then he says, Bray Priya Geffen. And they drank the Kiddush. And I said, okay, you just made Kiddush. That's a big mitzvah. And then we walked on. And that was it. So it was, a, it was a real moment. I'll tell you, it was a real moment. There was no, what's your name, where you're from, nothing. It was just, we met, would you like to make Kiddush? Which I hadn't had in mind, except I pulled out a bottle of grape juice. They made Kiddush and that was it. We were, we were, back on the road. So I told the story to my wife and the first thing she said to me was, did you give them a cookie so they could make Mizonos? <laughs> the blessing of Mizonos? And I thought, oh, I didn't think of that. So here's just a practical lesson that at Kiddush you should also make a Mizonos. And then I told my son, you know, I told the story of mommy. She said, I should have made a Mizonos with them. He said, yeah, you know, when I was standing there, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I was like, oh. Anyway, that's my story. So who knows? What do we know? What do we know? You know, Reb Shlomo said one time, if someone stops you in the street and asks you, what time is it? They don't know what time it, they don't want to know what the time is. They're asking you, what should I do with my life? Did you hear that? Someone stops you in the street and asks you the time. They don't know what, they don't want to know what time it is. They're asking you, what should I do with my life? So maybe that was one of those situations, you know? Did he care what was in the bag? I mean, we don't even know each other, right? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Okay. So Rabbi Shlomo says something very, very beautiful. He says, you know, there's a certain category of Torahs that don't, 
they don't have reasons to them. They're, they're called, it's called a chuk. And chuk is, is an interesting word because it comes from the Hebrew word to scratch. And not scratch in the, in the painful way. Like sometimes it's like, oh, you scratched me. We're not, we're not talking about that kind of scratch. Did, did anyone ever scratch your back? And it felt good. There's a, there's a type of scratching that, that, that feels good. You get a mosquito bite and you scratch and at least for a few seconds, it feels good, right? Type of scratching that feels good. So, so this, there's this interesting correlation between the word a chukas, a chuk, which is, which is a mitzvah that doesn't have a reason. It's, 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 it's beyond you. You see, there are two words that you could use to say that it's beyond your intellect. Um, one is, you could say it's irrational. Irrational means that it's a contradiction to my intelligence. It makes no sense. This thing has no reason. It's irrational. That, that's one way you can understand rationality. In other words, my, my mind is the be-all and end-all. And if it doesn't make sense within the context of my intelligence, then there's no room for it in the universe because it makes no sense. I must reject it as falsehood because my mind is the be-all and end-all. By the way, that's what we call the tree of knowledge. That's this great infection that humanity was visited with when we ate from the tree of knowledge. That's, that's, the, that's the, the bite of the snake from the tree of knowledge. This idea that if I don't understand it, then it doesn't belong in the universe. But then there's another way to understand our rationality. And um, I'll use my term. I, I don't know if other people use this term or not, but that's the super rational. In other words, I have my rational mind, but then I understand that my intelligence is just a subset of the divine intelligence. That my thinking goes so high, but then there are realms of wisdom, realms and dimensions of wisdom beyond my own. And that God is infinite. And that just like an ant can't outthink a human being, we can't outthink God. And that God goes beyond, beyond what my rational mind can grasp. And then we get into the realm of what I like to call the super rational. Now the question is, do I want to be a prisoner to the limitations of my own rationality? Do I want to be a prisoner? Do I want to be held hostage to the confines of my own IQ? Or do I want to be able to access realms beyond 
what I'm capable of thinking, but very much exist. And it's not that I believe that they exist, they in fact exist. Just like Einstein is smarter than me, God is smarter than Einstein. <laughs> These realms of intelligence exist. <laughs> now, how with my limited mind am I going to be able to access these realms. So God gives us this special gift. These are called the, the chukim of the Torah. Those, those mitzvahs that are beyond our ability to understand them. And when we reach out and we grab onto those mitzvahs, we're able to transcend our own intellectual limitations and to travel and to affect realms beyond what we could have normally without the Torah. Only with the Torah do we get these chukim, only with the Torah do we get these wings to fly beyond what we can rationally fathom and to go to the higher realms. Now let's get back to what Rib Shlomo is saying. That, what I just told you, is just Judaism 101, okay? But now we have to go deeper. So Rabbi Shlomo points out that this word chok, this realm of mitzvahs that are beyond us, they don't have a reason. Now this word chok relates to the Hebrew word for scratching. When you scratch, you make, it's like another way to say it is, is it's like when you carve something, you, you, you make a space within something. Or there's an opening to your heart. If you want to think of a closed heart, and then you can think of an open heart. All of these things get created when you go beyond yourself with a chok. But now here's the, here's the beautiful part. Here's the part we've been waiting for. When that opening gets created, right? When, when that chok, which makes a scratch, which makes a furrow or a carving or an opening in your heart, what does God fill that opening with? And the answer is with a tom with a reason. See, all this is being learned out by, from a medrash, because it says that, that Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who was supposed to do the greatest chok in the whole Torah, which was the paraduma, that's the ashes of the red heifer. That's the thing that removes the impurity of death. And it's the great contradiction in the Torah, because no one can rationally understand it, because everyone who prepared this, 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 these waters, right, which removed the impurity of death, which had the mixture of living water and the ashes of the red heifer, everyone who participated in the creation of it became ritually impure. And yet the substance itself removed ritual impurity. Did, does everyone hear that contradiction? If you worked on making this, this holy substance, which when it got sprinkled on a person who was ritually impure from contact with the dead, 
they, they became cleansed. But anyone who worked on the substance itself became ritually impure. So how could this same substance create ritual impurity and yet simultaneously cure ritual impurity? This is one of the greatest questions of the entire Torah. And it says that Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, couldn't understand it. Moshe Rabbeinu at the end of his life did understand it. So because Moshe Rabbeinu had the reason, God said, you're the one who should do it. You're the one who should, like, participate in the creation of this, since you have the Tom. But now, now we have to go deeper. What does it mean that Moshe Rabbeinu had the reason, had the Tom? So the word Tom is very, very interesting in, in Hebrew. Remember, Hebrew is Lashon HaKodesh. Hebrew is the holy language of the world. On a mystical level, it says that when God created the world, he, he created it out of the Hebrew letters. And if you want to think of that in a more contemporary way, Understand that each of the Hebrew letters is like a divine wavelength, energy wavelength, that God combined all these energy wavelengths into the physical universe. Like it says, equals MC squared, energy equals mass, ultimately. So God create, took these energies, these divine energies, and he created mass. He created the physical universe out of them. So that's one role of the letters. So the world is made out of these energies, these, these, these Hebrew letters. And as Reb Shlomo said so poetically, so beautifully one time, that when the wind rustles through the trees, the sound that it makes is in Hebrew, right? Because Hebrew is the language of nature. So these are just levels of understanding what it means that Hebrew is Lashon HaKodesh, the holy language. So. So the word Tom, the word for reason, right? We're, we're talking about going beyond reason. Chukim, go beyond reason. And when we, when we follow these commandments in the Torah, you know, the, the, probably the other most famous example of a chuk in the Torah is that you have to have your clothes checked for shotnets, right? If you buy a, a jacket or a dress or something like this, you have to bring it into the to, to the Schottnitz lab, they're in every Jewish neighborhood has a Schottnitz lab. You look it up online, you'll, you'll see. The one in Los Angeles is right on Holt Street, just uh, north, of, uh, north of Olympic. Um, the person who runs it is very, very nice. Uh, you can just call them up. And you have to make sure that your, 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 your jacket, your dresses, whatever it is, your, your suit doesn't have a mixture of wool and linen. So you can ask yourself, who cares if my jacket has a, a, a mixture of wool and linen in it? And by the way, you can't tell from the tag. If the, if, if the tag says 100% wool, you, you can't tell because a lot of times in the shoulder pads, they mix wool and linen together or in the stitching of the collar of a suit, they'll stitch it, especially finer suits, they'll stitch it with linen and so even though it says 100% wool, a lot of suits have wool and linen in them. 
Um, so you can ask yourself, who cares? But the answer is God cares. <laughs> and God made the whole world. And God doesn't want us to do it. So, so we can either say, we can either say that, that the world really exists in my own head. And if I understand it, it doesn't exist. Or if I don't, if I don't understand it, it's not meaningful. Or I can say, wow, here, this is on the super rational level. I couldn't have even begun to understand what this means. And God is giving me access to a way to fix my soul, a way to fix the entire universe that I never would have known about. I, uh, you know, hopefully I'm taking on mitzvahs my whole life, but I had been keeping Shabbos for a while before I, I brought my clothes into for Shatnitz. That was a, a later mitzvah that I started doing. And I remember I was having lunch with someone. And this guy was a sweet guy. He was a Torah observant guy. Um, but, you know, I don't know. You know, I didn't. I didn't do an audit on what mitzvahs he's keeping and what mitzvahs he's not keeping. Anyway, we were talking about something, I don't even remember what, and I said something to him, I have no idea what I said, and he responded very emotionally to what I said. And this is what he said back to me. He said, when you start keeping the mitzvah of Shatnitz, then I'll listen to you. And I had just brought my first jacket to check for Shotnitz about a week before that. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that, you know? Anyway, hopefully those of us who aren't bringing stuff into Shotnitz, hopefully you don't, aren't saying to yourself the following, oh, I don't do that. Please don't say that to yourself. Oh, I don't do that. Say, oh, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> it's, a much, it's a much better answer. And then maybe you'll get around to it, maybe you won't. That's up to you. Depends how much you care. If you care, you'll do it. But don't say, I don't do that. That's mama's death sentence. Don't do that. Say, ah, oh, okay, I haven't done that one yet. God willing. Just that thought in itself connects you to the mitzvah. You're already starting to do that mitzvah. You know, imagine I have a bowl of yarn. And imagine that this bowl of yarn is made out of infinity. Now imagine I cut a small piece from this bowl of yarn, right? That little piece that I have is also infinite. If the whole ball of yarn is made out of infinity, even a small piece of the yarn is made out of infinity. So each of the mitzvahs is infinite. So maybe you don't have the whole mitzvah yet, but if you, even if you have a small part of the mitzvah, you have a part of infinity. So maybe you're not doing the mitzvah yet, 
But if you even want to do the mitzvah, you're already connecting to the mitzvah. So you already have a part of the infinite nature of the, of the mitzvah itself. And that's already breathing life into your soul. Okay, so now, now we can get back to the subject, and we've been on the subject. What I've just talked is, is the subject. So the word Tom in Hebrew, remember, Hebrew is Lashon HaKodesh, it's the language of the universe. The word Tom means two things. It means reason, reason in the sense of the tree of knowledge, which is a negative right? Tree of knowledge is a negative. It means that if I don't know it, it doesn't exist. It's, it's, really, it's really ignorance masking itself as sophistication. The tree of knowledge is ignorance masking itself as sophistication. Okay? So you can, a tom can either be a reason or it can be, it means in Hebrew, taste. Ah, okay. It's a big difference between reason and taste. Okay. So I can convince you that this is a good restaurant. <laughs> but it's gotten X number of stars by these various critics. Or I can give you one bite of their specialty and you go, ah, you don't have to say a word. Don't, you don't have to say a word. Don't convince me of anything. I don't want to hear anything. Just give me another bite of that. I'm on board. I love this place. You hear the difference between it's the same word. Isn't it interesting? Tom. Tom means reason. Like tree of knowledge reason, right? Tom means reason but it also means taste. So, so, so listen to what Reb Shlomo is saying. He is now giving you the mechanics. We're going to put all these thoughts together now, okay? He's giving you the mechanics of really being what we would call an anemistic yid, right? Like a real Jew. You want to be a real Jew, right? A real Jew? Here's the formula. When this opening happens, when, when you become moved in some way, when your experience leaves the realm of the intellect, right? And our hearts open, right, when that scratching takes place, when that chok, the thing that my mind doesn't understand, but that chok also means scratching, it makes a, a scratching, it makes a, a carving, it makes an opening in my heart. So the question is, what does God fill that opening with? And the answer is, God fills it with a tom, with a taste. You see how beautiful that is? When my heart opens, God gives me a taste to want to connect in a more beautiful way, in a deeper way that's beyond my intellect.
And now my relationship with God is now moving from a tree of knowledge level, which is just intellect-based, to a tree of life level. When your heart opens, what does God fill that opening with? With a taste. And you see, when you have a taste, and it tastes good, everyone wants the same thing after that. You know what it is? More. You want more. And now you're getting into the real relationship with God, which is this, this sense that you're bringing the entirety of yourself in. You see, Torah is all-encompassing. As I like to say, in, in science, we talk about the space-time continuum. But the Sefer Yetzirah, right, which is the most ancient book of, of Panemius, the, the inner depths of Torah, um, before the Zohar, you had the Sefer Yetzirah. Okay, and there's certain, you know, who wrote it? So there's certain ideas. Some people say Adam Harishon, the first person, wrote it. Other people say, no, it was Avraham Avinu. Other people say, no, it was Rabbi Akiva. Do you know what that means? It doesn't, it means that it doesn't matter who wrote it. That's what it means. It means whoever wrote it was connected to God in the highest, deepest way possible, period, end, okay? If those are your three choices, Adam Harishon, Avraham Avinu, or Rabbi Akiva, who Moshe Rabbeinu says, why didn't you give the Torah to Rabbi Akiva? Why did you give it to me? You know, anytime you hear something from the Sefer Yetzirah, you know, it's like, that's it. So the Sefer Yetzirah says that all of reality can be boiled down to three fundamental components. Time, space, ah, does that sound familiar? And soul. See, that, to me, that's one of the, the great advertisements for Torah right there. Because it shows you how academics, how the scientific realm it gets close, but it's not comprehensive because it's not factoring in the dimension of soul, which is one of the fundamental components of reality. Remember, what is soul? Everything exists within God. And God puts a piece of himself inside of us. That's our soul. So how can you have any comprehensive vision of reality without incorporating the dimension of soul? You can't. So, so Torah itself is all-encompassing. So you have to bring the entirety of yourself to Torah. This is what it means when David Amelech says, to know God in all of your ways. 
right? You see, that means before you go to sleep, one of your last thoughts when your head is on the pillow is, God, I'm sleeping in order to serve you. Not, not God, I'm clocking out. I already did enough for you. Let me go to sleep already. I'm tired. That's not it. All there is is God. So God gave us sleep. God also gave us sleep to serve him with. What about eating? All right, God, I'm on my lunch break. Give me a break. <laughs> no. Union rules says I get an hour for a lunch break. So you do your thing, God. I'm on my own time now. This is not Judaism. <laughs> this is not what the Torah is talking about. God, now I'm getting strength to serve you. God, this food is so delicious. Thank you. You're taking me out for lunch again? But you just took me out for lunch yesterday and the day before. And you're taking me out for dinner too? You're so good to me. So, so how does this, how does this, uh, how does this connect to what we've been talking about? You see, we have our mind, our intellect, but we also have our emotions. And if a person is only bringing their mind to God, if they're only saying that, you know, basically, to the extent that I understand you, you exist. To the extent I understand you, you exist. If, if, if that means that we're just serving God with our minds, which means that we're not bringing the entirety of ourselves to God. To bring the entirety of yourself to God means that you're bringing your intellect, but you're also bringing your emotions. You're bringing your mind, but you're also bringing your heart. And how do you bring your heart to God? So this is what we're talking about today. That when that, when a person goes beyond what they're rationally able to hold in their mind, when they access the super-rational, the chukim of the Torah, they give themselves wings, you give your soul wings to fly beyond, you open up your heart, and God fills it with a tam, with a taste. And that taste gives you a longing to connect on a deeper, on a deeper level. And what I like about this teaching is, and this is all from Reb Shlomo, what I like about this teaching, and there's more to it, by the way, but, but this is what we're going to do today, of it, together. Um, what I like about this is, is that um, there's such an experiential 
aspect, when you were, anyone who was privileged to be around Reb Shlomo or really around any tzaddik knows that there is something, there's, there's an atmosphere that's created. And it's very hard to describe what that atmosphere is. You can't quite put your finger on it. But what I like about what we discussed today, and again, this is coming from him, I just tried to put it in my words. Um, what, what I like about it is, it's, 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 it's sort of demystifying how to get to that atmosphere, how to create that atmosphere. It's telling you that, there, that when, one's, when one goes beyond themselves, there's an opening of the heart and that God fills that opening in your heart with a longing for more. And then you're able to connect not just with your mind, but with your heart and together, and you're able to bring your enti the entirety of yourself. What, what does it mean, you know, like the world is talking about right now, this idea to be present. Anyone who has experienced what it means to be really present, another way to say that is that your mind and your heart are both there right? You're not just concentrating, but you're kind of like really there. Really there is code for my heart and my emotions are also present. So, It's funny, I, 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 I was hoping to discuss <laughs> more about the white fire in the Torah. Maybe I'll just mention it. You see, the, the Ramban famously says at the, at, in his introduction to the Chumash that the Torah is black fire on white fire. You see, no one should think that that the um, that that when you look at a Torah scroll, that it's ink on parchment. That that's um, that that's not incorrect, but it's not what the Torah is really conveying in the depths of its holiness. Remember, the the, the Torah itself, the Zohar says, the Torah itself is a blueprint of all of reality. So it's black fire on white fire. That, 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 that parchment actually is, is a very dynamic presence. It's not just an inert substance for, for the ink. It's black fire on white fire. So what does that mean in the here and now? That means that there are certain aspects to reality that you can see with your eyes. That's the black fire. That's what the black fire stands for. And by the way, each one of us is a letter in the Torah. Every Jew is a letter in the Torah. So that's the, that's the black fire of the Torah. That's the visible aspects of creation. Okay? Not just people, just anything. That's black fire. White fire are the spiritual realms that exist 
but you can't see them. They're there, but you can't see them. That's the white fire of the Torah. So what is reality? So you see what a potent, what a potent uh, blueprint the Torah actually is, because it's encompassing all of reality. It's all the things that are visible with the eye and all the other things that exist that aren't visible, but they're there. Does, every, does everyone see that? That's an amazing thing. Okay. So, so, so the white fire, you can bring white fire into the world. See, you know what the world is evolving toward? Heaven on earth. Or if you want to say it another way, we're lifting earth up to heaven. <laughs> Either way, it's going to be this amazing mixture. And you can bring white fire down into this world, you know? I'll tell you something, a, an interesting halacha, which is everybody knows if a Torah scroll is missing one letter, then it's not kosher. If it's missing part of one letter, it's not kosher. Let me ask you a different question. What if two letters are touching up against each other? So the two letters are 100% complete. They're just happening to be touching each other. Is that kosher? Is that Torah scroll kosher? Well, if all we have to go on is that a Torah scroll can't be missing a letter, well, there's no letters missing. There are no parts of any letters missing, right? So I could see the logic in saying that that Torah scroll is kosher. Just happens to be that these two letters are touching. Ordinarily speaking, it shouldn't be, but in this case they are, but the Torah scroll is, is still kosher. Okay, so believe it or not, that is not the halacha. If two letters are touching, the Torah scroll is not kosher. Now, you ready for this? Because I think this is really a far out idea. The reason is because there is white fire in the Torah that has been diminished. When the two black letters are touching each other, you limited the heavenly aspect. <laughs> that is present in the world and you have misrepresented reality. And if you know something, if the, if the Torah scroll is a blueprint of reality, that's not reality, friends. It's not kosher. Now you ready for this? If every letter is you, right? If you're a letter in the Torah, that means that you are surrounded by white fire. <laughs> that means every single person is surrounded by white fire. So what I would suggest is, and I know I have to work on this too, you know, is that when you see another person, don't just see the black fire, see the white fire that surrounds them. And I'll, I'll say even further, if you're not seeing the white fire that surrounds them, you're not seeing the whole of themselves. Because if that white fire is diminished in the Torah, then it's not kosher. So you know what that means on a deeper level? 
It means that when you see another person, don't be limited by what you see with your eyes, just that they look like this. But you have to understand all the depths that's inside the person that you're never going to see. That's the white fire that surrounds them. And unless you're seeing that, unless you're appreciating the fact when you look at someone that you're never going to see the entirety of them, then you're not seeing them to begin with. And you know something? If it's true the way we look at each other, it also has to be true the way we look at ourselves. That we appreciate that each one of us individually, that we understand in our own minds that each one of us is also surrounded by white fire. This is not just true for everybody else except for us. It's also true for us. And that we have to understand on some level by this logic that there are realms of Kedusha, of holiness within ourselves that we're never even going to fathom. You see, you know why I can connect to things that I don't fully understand? Because if I don't even understand myself, how can I understand anything else? <laughs> so the baseline is not knowing. The baseline isn't knowing. The baseline is not knowing. And you say, oh, if, I'm, if my baseline is not knowing, then, I'm, then, then my foundation is ignorance. No, 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 no. If your baseline is not knowing, then your baseline is transcendence. <laughs> Do you understand? Okay, maybe we'll, maybe we'll end there. Okay. Have a great week, everyone. A great week. And uh, if anyone has any questions, we can, we can do that. David, I have a quick question. Um, just a really specific question regarding something you mentioned in passing. Yeah. Um, you said that Moshe said something about why didn't you give the Torah to Rabbi Akiva? Yeah. yeah How is that possible? So that's in the Gomorrah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's um, one of the really most interesting things in the one of the most interesting things in the Torah, uh, it says that 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 Moshe Rabbeinu sat uh, sat at the back of of uh, a lesson that Rabbi Akiva was was giving, and and uh, that Rabbi Akiva was darshaning. He was explaining the crowns on top of the letters. There's something called tagim that if you look at Hebrew letters, you'll see that they have these very beautiful um, uh, towers, little points. They're like little, little Zions, actually. It's the letter Zion, but, but they're beautifications of the letters. And certain letters have different combinations of these crowns. They're called the crowns on the letters. And Rabbi Akiva is teaching this lesson to his students, and he's figuring out halachas, Jewish law based on the crowns on top of the letters. And Moshe Rabbeinu, the Gemara says, Moshe Rabbeinu 
is sitting in his class and he's he doesn't understand what Rabbi Akiva is saying. Can you understand? Rabbi Akiva is teaching the Torah that came through Moshe, and Rabbi Akiva is teaching it on this exalted level that Moshe Rabbeinu isn't following. And Moshe Rabbeinu starts to feel bad, and he says to God, why didn't you give the Torah to Rabbi Akiva? Why did you give it to me? And then the Gemara says, and then Rabbi Akiva ends his lesson by saying, all of this was revealed to Moshe Rabbeinu at Mount Sinai. And then it says, and then Moshe Rabbeinu felt better. And then it gets even more intense because Moshe Rabbeinu then says, what is the reward for such a person? Like his Moshe Rabbeinu's mind is like just blowing like, like over the greatness of Rabbi Akiva. And then, you ready for this? God shows Moshe Rabbeinu a vision of Rabbi Akiva being tortured to death by the Romans. And Moshe says, is this the reward that's given for the Torah? And God says to Moshe, stop speaking or I will turn the entire universe into null and void. Have a great day. (laughs) (laughs) How's that? You had an interesting question. You didn't realize that you were stepping onto a landmine there, did you? (laughs) Thank you, David. And thanks for that great talk. Thanks. Sure. Yeah. Um, David? Anyone else? Ira, I recognize your voice. How are you doing? Hey, thank God. Well... Um, I, I have a question, but admittedly, I want to just share something with you in the group, and I, I hope it coincides with your theme of transcendence. And I saw at the beginning you were speaking about how the relationships that continue eternally, I really appreciated that. Um, so this week, something really fascinating happened in the Jewish world, but it's, it's hard to keep up with everything that's going on. And um, there's an organization in Ramat Gan in Israel called the Shirat Hadin, which is the Israel Law Center. And they're a rare organization. They're bringing a lot of the cases um, on behalf of victims of terror and their families, and they've been very quite successful. They're leading the world in, in this field. And they had a panel with Jason Greenblatt, who um, is a very rare figure, and he was part of what this recent vision for peace that's being fostered and being challenged. The reason I mention this is very specific, is that they had three or four other panelists and it looked like it was gonna be extremely controversial. Um, But what Shirat Adin did was the entire, you can watch this, by the way, Jerusalem Post just posted part of the video today and the whole thing is available or it will be available soon. But they devoted the entire first hour just to Jason Greenblatt so that the head of the organization and it's, her name is Natsana Darshan Leitner. She's a very remarkable Israeli woman, mother of six, leads a team of lawyers, you know, against some of the most fierce adversaries um, in the world. And they spoke for the whole first hour, just them, about some very delicate processes, which I would offer that they covered a lot of like black, black fire on white fire kind of um, themes. And one of them, I guess the best way to put it is, This is a man that was traveling around to Arab nations for the past few years to discuss one of the hardest topics in our civilization. And they were welcoming him. And he was like, 
he had to daven with a minion. So here he is putting his tefillin on with finding a minion with 10 Jews. And he spoke about that in the interview. So that's one of the reasons I, I know a lot of people wouldn't know about this if they don't, you know, have access. And, um, and then they had the controversial part afterwards and he didn't even stay on for it, which I thought was an act of supreme discretion, but they spoke about all of the issues. And it was with Professor Dershowitz um, and it was with the former ambassador from Canada to Israel and the former ambassador from the United States to Israel. So I just, you know, when you speak about transcendence and I listened to Jason and I thought this, he's speaking about such delicate issues and he did it with calm, with, he was very specific he was respectful to all parties. He spoke about disagreeing with the leaders of Arab nations, but where they saw eye to eye, he just covered this wide range of people and issues. And, and it was such an archetype for people can completely disagree and they can be completely respectful of each other and they can have a total win-win conversation. And I just, I hope it's okay, David, that I, you know, please, I want to hand it back to you here, but, uh, it was, it was, yeah, I'm glad that you spoke so well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Um, is there anyone else who, who has a thought or something they, they want Rabbi, to Rabbi, or sorry, not Rabbi, David, uh, it's yes. Sean in Toronto. Hi, Sean in Toronto. I, yeah. As, it's actually warm up here now. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> so you were saying, so I didn't catch the whole thing, but uh, the latter half, you're talking about the white, just what what we're talking about white fire and the black fire um is is the white fire something like uh besides the the mind and the heart is it also something that's like not almost like an eastern concept like what's not there so if somebody says something but they don't say something else maybe that they should be saying or whenever you, whenever we say something automatically we're not saying something else so is it like um I, I don't know how to express it, but like uh, for sure people have auras. That's another thing. You know, I've met uh, a couple of rabbis who for sure there's something going on around them, but I, I don't know what to make of this white fire and this black fire. Um, so, so, so the, the black fires, those, those aspects that that of reality that we see and the white fire is those things that are there that we don't see okay so um it's not really the heart and the mind necessarily that's kind of a different paradigm this is kind of more like just a, a blueprint of reality the things everything that's there uh those things that are seen and those things that are not seen now if you want to relate it to communication you can do that as well because there are, um, as, as you said, and it's, it's funny because it's something that um, I wanted to get to more. I didn't really have a chance to get into the depths of it. It's from, from the Eish Kodesh, the Piasesna Rebbe, the, that was the Rebbe of the Warsaw Ghetto. And he, he, uh, he speaks about this in Parshas Vayichi in, 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 in one of his Sfarim, um, Derech uh, HaMelech. And he talks about how there's this aspect of communication called ratzon, which means will. And that sometimes you have the words themselves, but, but sometimes you have this, this level which goes beyond words that, that gets communicated. 
And the, the term that he uses that is ratzon, which means will or desire or something like that. So, so yeah, it's very true. Sometimes when you um, communicate, sometimes um, a person is able to communicate um, the, the energy surrounding the words themselves. And sometimes that is even the primary vehicle of communication. Meaning to say, sometimes someone can say the exact same words as someone else. But when you hear them from, say, a holy person, they make such a tremendous impression of, uh, on you. Because what you're hearing is the understanding and the, the ratzon, the will, the white fire, if you will, surrounding the words. And that actually becomes the primary vehicle of communication to the person himself that they're hearing the, the words behind the words, the energy behind the words. And it's not just that that's a, um, you know, like a little wrapper that's coming with the words, or that's a subset of the words themselves, but that actually becomes the, the substance of the communication. You know, there's a, a story, I believe it's told about the Chovitz Chaim, and it was about someone who was breaking Shabbos, and they... They call this person to, um, to see the, the Chovetz Chaim. And the Chovetz Chaim put the boy's hands in his hands. And the Chovetz Chaim held this boy's hands. And he just said a few times with tears in his eyes, the Chovetz Chaim said, Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. And that was it. And, and, and the boy never broke Shabbos again. Because when the Chofetz Chaim said the word Shabbos, do you know what was filled with the word Shabbos? It wasn't just the halachas of Shabbos or the word Shabbos. It was the entire experiential divine transcendence of Shabbos. And that's what the boy was hearing. So yes, yes, it's... um. There's a way to do it, but, but, but if you want to be one of these people who's able to communicate on this level, you have to be so connected that this is, this is really the, um, that the headquarters of your life is God, that the headquarters of your life is the beyond. When that's where you live, then that's what's going to come through when you speak. Like I say, it's funny that, that someone else who say is, let's say someone who's not even Jewish could have held that boy's hand and said, Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. And I, I don't think the same thing would have come across. So, so it's not necessarily the words. The words are just part of it. I, the, the rabbi that I learned with once said to me so beautifully, he said, he says, there are those people who this world is more real than the next world. And then there are other people who this world is real and the next world is real. And then there's still other people who the next world is more real than this world. 
And when you become one of those people, because remember, the majority of our lives by far is going to be in the next world. Like even if we live till 120, that's, it's a snap compared to eternity, right? So if you become one of these people who the next world is more real than this world, and by the way, that doesn't mean re disrespecting this world. You see, a lot of people make a mistake. They become too spiritual for their own good. And they think, I don't have to pay my rent. Why? Because what's this world? But that's not Torah. Torah is, this world is a subset of a greater reality, but you're being very mindful and extremely respectful and covetic about everything in this world. Certainly other people, certainly other people's property. That's, that's really one of the interesting hallmarks of Judaism. So, so the more you live in the next world while you're in this world, the more your words themselves are going to communicate a reality that's beyond this world. Okay. Um, does anyone else have a, a question or something they want to share? Okay. Hi, David. Hi, Jenny. How are you? Hi, David. Thank you. Such a great class as usual. Oh, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Absolutely. So, uh, first off, the, the black fire and white fire feels very, very topical right now with so much black and white conversation. This is, yeah, feels like it's happening on various levels. Yeah, I didn't think about it. Yeah. And, uh, and I'd love to just hear your whole take on, uh, you know, this quarantine now looks like it's going to be continuing and even getting more intense. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, this being the birth pangs of Mashiach or however you may be interpreting it. I was recently seeing in the Zivi Ritchie book that you recommend, uh, the Karlbach and uh, Rebbe Nachman book, uh, the Book of Love and Prayer, saying, yeah, like, why let me, aren't people- Let me just interrupt just to give a, a, an advertisement just in case anyone hasn't gotten it yet. You can go on Amazon, it's called The Book of Love and Prayer, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach. It's like $10 or $12. It's, he's not making any profit on it. It's this giant telephone book of like just gems. It's just gems. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable, oh, someone's holding it up right now on the grid, if you've got the grid here. And, and he wants you to buy multiple copies and give them out, which, which uh, as soon as you see the book, you're going you're gonna to say either, I'm so glad I bought multiple copies to give them out, or you're yeah. going to say, why didn't I buy multiple copies to give them out? <laughs> They're only 10 bucks. So anyway, Jenny, go, go back, but I'm just uh, telling everyone to get it. The Book of Love and Prayer by Rabbi Shlomo Karlova. Go ahead, Jenny. Yeah, great endorsement. And I actually gave one this past week as a birthday gift to our mutual friend, Kathy Heller. So uh, oh, fantastic. Uh, I'm paying it forward. Yeah, and I ordered a new copy for myself. Awesome. So thank you. Such a good recommendation. But it says in there, you know, why are people not close to God because they're so busy running around? Couldn't believe it. Like my jaw dropped. And I'm sure that you could, I'd love to hear your thoughts on 
what's being required of us right now, what, what, what the world is coming to in your view, what this means to some aspect. Take it away, David. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a giant question and, and I don't pretend to have the answer. So let me just begin by saying, I don't know, right? I don't know. I don't know the answer, Jenny, I'm sorry. Um, I can just, you know, sometimes, I'll I, I, I tell you a story. I had a friend, this is a, a bunch of years ago, and he was just, he was just starting to keep Shabbos. He, he went from that to, 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 to becoming a rabbi in Jerusalem and coming back. So he, he really made a long way. But, but, but anyway, he, this was the first Shabbos he kept, and it, yesterday was the anniversary of it. And the reason why I remember was because it's the longest Shabbos of the entire year was, was, was yesterday. And he has a, a very great sense of humor and, and is, you know, kind of sarcastic and in, in a hilarious way. And, you know, he was basically crawling on his knees to the finish line that it was like the last Shabbos, that it was so late. And then after we finished Marv and he finally finished, someone yelled out, Kiddush Lavana! So there was a whole nother service to do on top of the longest Shabbos of the year. And he, he almost collapsed. But anyway... The reason why I bring up that story um, is because sometimes you think you've finished and you haven't finished. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us maybe saw the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the quarantine, like you're saying, Jenny, that we, we thought, okay, well, you know, everything's going back to normal. And then it seems like there's another wave coming and, and maybe not so fast. God is endlessly deep. God is endlessly deep. And, it, you know, if you ask me later on today, I'll, I'll probably give you a different answer, but I'll just give you the answer that's coming to me right now. I think, see, the mistake that so many people make and, and the difference between, like, really what the Torah is saying and, and, and the misimpression that everyone thinks the Torah is saying is people think that this is my life and I'm me and I get to decide what I want to do. And God gave me this book of rules for me to do and me to figure out. And I've got to, you know, eventually get to the point where I can check off all these mitzvahs and then I will have done what I need to do in my life that I'm living in my world. You know, again, I'm putting it in a very stark way, but I think if you dig deep enough, a lot of people would sort of agree that that's kind of their approach. Or, 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 there's another approach, which I think is the real approach. And that approach is the only thing that exists is God. That, that's literally the only thing that exists in the world. And that I am this emanation, I'm this ray of godliness in this world. And that the entire Torah is this gift for me to give me a structure wherein which I can have this transcendent relationship with God and, and to be in this ongoing relationship with God. And, and that's what reality is. And so I think that one of the blessings, if you will, um, even though there's been so much hardship, as, 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 as you know better than most, Jenny, 
from this, um, this coronavirus. But one of the blessings that's come from it, I think, is that a lot of people are getting more time with themselves and with their family and with God to create that meaningful relationship. And the time that they need to create that meaningful relationship. And I saw something in the name of the Baal Shem Tov from, from Rav Frimer, who is one of the uh, Rosh Yeshivas, the Rosh Yeshiva of Hachmei Lublin, which, you know, of course, a hundred years ago was the greatest Torah institution in the world. He was the Rosh Yeshiva. He brought a Torah from the Baal Shem Tov that said that when you look at the world, you ready for this? When you look at the world and you see God, God is looking back at you at that moment. Let's say it again. When you look at the world and see God, God is looking back at you. Hmm. And I think that that direct, direct relationship is something that, that the world is still working on. We're still really trying to get to that place where it's sort of like, you know, there's the whole world here, God, but it's also me and you, and this is real. And, and I do think that this quarantine has really been an opportunity, let's put it this way, an opportunity for us to cultivate that type of relationship, which is really at the core of all of existence. Um, anyway, that's the best I can do for now, Jenny. I, I hope that's at least something. Question. Um, hello? Hi. Hi. Hi, who is this? Gary. Hi, Gary. I just want to say, uh, last week before we had an open, uh, we had a Shabbat distancing in the Treaster's yard, and there were 16 people, very nice. And we had Yehuda, and we had uh, Bookstein. We would like you to come. Uh, but uh, they didn't have it this week because of the spike COVID. But they had, you know, everybody wore a mask. Uh, we had social distancing. They even had uh, people take your temperature, and they, they even cleaned the bathrooms. Uh, so there was no chance, I think, that, you know, getting the COVID. And, so I don't know what the future is. Uh, maybe they could have it maybe closer to you or they have more people will come to our minion and hopefully the thing won't spike. Uh, but we did have a nice minion and uh, we missed your Devar tour. We had a little bit of Devar tour. But, uh, so um, do you know anything about the future? Like what's going to happen? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not on the board. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Um, I know that they felt that there's still a health risk. That's what I read in the email, but I guess I just know what you know. But um, I would shoot an email to Naomi and, and ask her what, what um, you know, what she thinks um, lays ahead. That would that that, would, that will give you your best information. Okay. Also, I wanted to ask that you mentioned that lady. What? The lady was speaking. She's a lawyer. And she's come to United States a few times, and she is. A, how do you get a hold of that tape? She. That's of all I'm the. Sure you're going in and out. Um, 
you're trying to get in touch with that Iris, uh, because I heard her speak a book called Harpoon, and she's amazing things like she stopped the flotilla from coming into really uh, territory by uh, freezing the assets of a lot of the. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. I'm sorry. Uh, Sheila, I saw your, your thing light up there. Are you going to ask anything? No? Okay. Uh, is there anyone else who wanted to add something? Cindy, did you want to say anything? No? Okay. Okay. Um, all right, well then maybe we'll, we'll finish up for this week. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in. Oh. Is that someone else speaking? Yes, Samantha, can you hear me? Uh, you're going in and out. Okay. Um, can you hear me now? Uh, a little bit better, yeah. Okay. I wanted to know what you meant when you said that when someone asks you what time it is, they're asking uh they're really asking what they should do with their life yeah i was wondering um if you could explain that a little bit let's let's just take the example of this guy this past shabbos right so he's in like bicycle shorts and a, and a black t-shirt and you know just very casually and he was with his i'm assuming his date you know they seem like you know, if things went well, maybe they'd get married, who knows? But, you know, they definitely seem matched for each other, although she said she was just a friend, so I guess it was in the early stages. But, you know, they were just out on a Saturday in the park, basically. And he sees two people dressed for Shabbos. I'm holding my velvet talus bag, which, you know, is, you know, if you, if you know what that is, you know, it's, it's pretty dang Jewish, you know? It's Shabbos morning. And we're walking, we're just kind of walking by him. And I've never seen him before. And he says, what's in the bag? So, so there's a part of him who wants to connect with us. He saw two people that, that were in Shabbos. And he wants to connect. So, so when he says, what's in the bag, that, that's, was, that's the same as what Reb Shlomo is saying. If someone comes up to you and asks, what time, what time is it on the street, right? There was a part of him who wanted to connect with Shabbos and with us. And I had no idea that 30 seconds later, I was going to be making Kiddush with him in the middle of the sidewalk. <laughs> That was that was not my intention. I just pulled out the next thing in the bag, and it turns out to be a bottle of grape juice. And so I show him how to make kiddush. I mean, it was a crazy moment. It was like a really one of these beyond moments, you know. And uh, yeah, so so sometimes when people go up to other people and it's unexpected. And they ask you something that's kind of relevant, but kind of not really relevant. You didn't need to know what was in my bag. I'm sure he wasn't stopping everybody 
who was walking by with a knapsack saying, what's in your knapsack? So that means that on a deeper level, someone senses something in you and wants to try to connect with you. And since it's their soul, which is the most meaningful part of them that wants to connect with you, maybe you have something that you can share with them on a soul level that will answer why they're approaching you to begin with. I, I think that's what Reb Shlomo was talking about. That's very beautiful. Thank Does you that make so more sense? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's very sure. beautiful. Sure. Hi. Yes. Yes, do you, do you want to share something? Or? Yeah. Hi, Dave. It's been a while. I wanted to check in and say hello. I've been trying to make your Zooms, but I have a four-year-old and with this whole COVID situation, but he's been sitting in this morning a little bit. And awesome. I want to thank you so much for having this. And um, to everybody, stay healthy and safe. And things are only getting better. <laughs> where, where are you now? Which I'm part of the world? Pacific Palisades. Pacific Palisades. Okay, not so far. Not, not so far. So far. No, it's, and I'd love to things get better to see at the Happy Minion. <laughs> it's been yes. a while. So. Great to see you. Be well to you and your family, and hello to everyone. And I'll see you next week. He's off and running, but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll find the time without. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, thank, thank you. you. I just thank wanted to say hello. You. It's okay. great to see you. Good to see you too. Bye bye. Okay, you guys. I think, uh, I think we're good. Um, Okay. Okay, everyone. Have a, have a fantastic week. And uh, remember, remember to include in your prayers what, uh, what the first Belzer Rebbe would pray. That in addition to praying for the sick, that he also prayed that the healthy should stay healthy. Right? Important thing Amen. to have in your prayers. Okay. Amen. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.